Good Up is our space to talk about those experiences in life we didn't know we all had in common. We're the after work happy hour conversation with your best friend. The place where you bring up the hard parts of life, the ones that made you laugh, and the things that made you who you are. Because who said becoming good up wasn't a little bit uncomfortable? Stay tuned for more information about this week's episode. Hey, beautiful people. Welcome back to another episode. This week, we've got a very exciting episode. We've got two amazing guests, and I can't wait for them to hop in and introduce themselves. Hello. Good evening, everyone. I'm Dr. Latoya Gilmore. I'm so glad to be here. Hi, I'm Misha Nicole, and I'm here from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. (laughs) Thanks for coming, you guys. Uh, This week, we're talking about mental health, you know, the things that we're scared to talk about, a lot of our brazen misuse of certain diagnoses and things of that nature. And I'm so glad that we have Dr. Gilmore here to help us with that because we be needing the professionals. And I'm also glad to have uh, Misha. I think she's going to have a really good perspective regarding some diagnoses that we tend to overuse. So let's get into it, you guys. All right. Thanks. Thank you guys um, for joining once again. I I definitely thought it was important to have two different sides of mental health in this conversation. Um, Typically on the podcast, we speak a lot about our personal experiences with mental health, but I think it's important to have someone sort of on the other side of it who can tell you or, you know, show you how to navigate the process of, let's say, getting help. We spoke about therapy in one of our last episodes and how people are typically afraid to even start going to therapy. I know I'm one of those people, even though I've gone to therapy before, every time you sort of reapproach it, it's, um, it's a bit nerve wracking. So Dr. Gilmore, I think my first question for you is, why choose this field? Why choose to be a mental health professional? And was that something that was scary or or daunting for you when you chose to go down that path? Wow, this path actually chose me. Mm. Um, It's a natural part of who I've always been. I've been that friend that people would come to and talk to and seek advice from. And there were just so many different things just growing up just witnessing family dynamics, family of origin issues um, that I wanted to change for myself. And I wanted to to have a different type of legacy for my family, whatever that looked like. I didn't have a family at at that time, but, you know, just wanting to change some of the dynamics that I witnessed growing up. And I was just interested in people. I love people. I love talking. I love listening to people more so. Um, And it came natural to me. And so when I discovered the field of psychology, the second semester of um, my undergrad education, it was like everything clicked for me. Um, It made sense. I was interested in human behavior, why we do what we do, why we think, you know, the things that we think, the things that impact us, why are some people impacted in a different manner than other people are impacting. And so it just gave me a platform to be who I felt like I naturally was. And it gave me the opportunity to enhance some of the natural God-given abilities that I've been blessed with. And so the field of human behavior and, and learning more about us and how to improve healing in various aspects 
was just a perfect fit for me. You know, I, I found something that I connected to. I found, you know, something in a field where I, you know, I felt like I genuinely belonged because I didn't have to, you know, step outside of my comfort zone. I was, again, a natural active listener. And, you know, I would have those aha moments as I'm giving my friends advice. I'm like, huh, I think I need to listen to that, you know, you know, just being, you know, young, but being able to be objective to their experiences. It gave me insights on my own experiences. And I just wanted to learn more, you know, about the profession. And so, like I led with, I believe that it was something that chose me, you know, because it was who I naturally was. And again, once I discovered that particular discipline, there was no turning back. That is coming from a black woman. I think that is one of the most beautiful things to hear. <laughs> um, I, I know in my personal journey, when I began looking for a new therapist, because my first experience with therapy was online. It was, I don't want to call it generic, but it was one of those websites where you go and you find a counselor and you get matched with one, but it wasn't as intimate as I needed. And I promised myself after that, that my next therapist was going to be a black woman because I needed to sit in a room with someone who I felt not only was qualified to deal with me, but who understood me in a deeper perspective. So yeah, yeah. having ha one, having all black women in this conversation is really important. Um, and that's why I think my, my next question of course is going to be for Misha. And I think all of us can answer this question is when did you realize that, you know, the issues that you were having or the things you were struggling with, required, I guess, the help of someone else or required things like therapy? And what was that realization like for you? That is very interesting because I feel like I went through cycles of it. Um, it wasn't even me that knew. I was sitting in training with a coworker who was my work wife and she said, you're always very, you know, angst and jittery. You know, I think you should, you know, talk to someone. I go make an appointment with my primary doctor at the time and, um, she was like, okay, sounds like you have general anxiety disorder. And then she's like, do you sometimes feel sad or low? And I was like, yeah, sometimes. She was like, you might have a little bit of depression too. It was winter time. It was like just before Christmas. And she put me on a medication and I couldn't swallow anything else after. I couldn't try to eat anything. Like I was, I was pretty much kind of starving myself because I couldn't eat anything, trying to take the medication. So I actually learned about my mental health because someone else observed me more than I observed myself. Wow. Um, the stigma of therapy was the next thing because I had to be ordered to go to therapy if I was going to be prescribed the medication. So I'm like, you know, first session, they're asking you all these preliminary questions and, you know, why are you here? And I was like, well, I was ordered to be here. Mm -hmm. I, I don't really know if I want to be here. And mm -hmm. she was like, well, it's totally your choice. Um, at the time, my first therapist was a white, middle-aged woman. Mm In -hmm. um, all honesty, in that whole questionnaire they have on your first session, I wasn't honest with my therapist. And I think that hindered me. But now that I have a Black therapist, oh, I'm, I'm telling her everything. She knows everything more than any best friend could know. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is truly like someone I can just open up and say anything to. So I feel like when you are seeking for a therapist, it's like dating. You don't like them, you can ghost them. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely fine, but you have to make sure you have that intimacy. And that's how you can thrive as a person with your mental intelligence and your mental health and your mental well-being. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I, I really want to avoid crying when I answer this question. 
Girl, let because me I've never been opposed to therapy. I actually, hey, Isa knows this. I stand therapy. Like I am the biggest fan of therapy. I'd be the one like, girl, you th- you should really think about going to a therapist, even if it's just to talk. Like I'm the person in the group chat who is encouraging everybody to go to therapy. But I wasn't going for me because I, I thought that I had a good handle on what was going on with me. And I did. Everything was good for me until Hurricanes Irma and Maria hit. Mm-hmm. And I moved to New Jersey. And literally my life that was cool and calm was flipped and just turned. And suddenly I was living at my big sister's house here in New Jersey. And it was just me and Dylan. You know, I went from having his dad present, even though we weren't together, I had more of a support. Like my life was stable to say the least. And it didn't occur to me that something was going on. It took Dylan for me to say, maybe I should go get some help. Cause Dylan was like three turning four or he had, he had just turned four, but he would constantly try to make me happy. I didn't realize that I was sad. It was Dylan, like, we would just be, like, at home hanging out. And he would do this, like, random thing. And it was because he wanted to make me happy. And I feel so, I felt super guilty for that. Like, when I caught on that that's what was going on, I literally opened up my healthcare app and I started looking for a therapist. Because my four-year-old, his job is not to make his mom happy, you know? And I think we were, like, watching Power Rangers or something. Something so stupid and basic. But I remember him, like, pulling out one of his toys and doing some sort of a stunt. And he goes, mommy, did you see what I just did? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, did that make you happy? And I literally just like, I felt so bad. And I was like, fuck, like you're not being a good mom. Like something's going on with you. You don't even know that something's going on with you, but your four-year-old sees that something's going on with you, you know? And for me, because I like black women are the only people in the world that will ever be able to relate to me. You know, I knew for a fact instantly, like, okay, I need a black therapist. So I started looking on my, my, you know, my insurance app to find a therapist, but then I ended up going on like psychology today and I entered all the filters. And luckily my first therapist was a black woman therapist and I liked her. Um, We didn't connect right away. It was hard to connect, but I was committed to continuing because of Dylan. Like, if it was just me, if I didn't have Dylan, I probably would have ghosted her and found a new therapist. But because I knew I needed help, I just stayed with it, even when I didn't feel like being there. I just prioritized being there because I knew that I needed to have these conversations with somebody who was qualified to help me, (laughs) you know? So that sucked, but, you know... (laughs) No, We're you're here. strong. You're, you're totally strong for that. Um, you're not a bad mom because you just, you know, I think about, um, about us as black women, we put the whole world on our shoulders and we don't ask yeah. nobody to take nothing off of it you're at right. all. And, and we, we're, the, we're, the, we're the one race and the one gender that deals with the most hell on this planet. Oh my God. Yes. And then we're <laughs> yes. mad at ourselves for not being perfect. <laughs> right. I just want to commend you for saying, you know what, my baby showed me that I needed help and I needed help for myself and for him. Yeah. Thank you for that. So what about you? So much strength, so much strength in being able to say, I need assistance. I need help. I need someone to talk to. Yeah. I need a shoulder to lean on, Mm -hmm. right? Instead of just always extending that shoulder for someone else's support. Right. He's supporting you. Yeah. Right. And that's the same thing, you know, with me, like as a professional, I have a therapist as well. It's important. It's vital. I would, you know, in within our field, your mental health, your your emotional well-being is is so imperative. Right. And so you go, go, go and you do, do, do for everyone else. Mm-hmm. And you constantly 
put yourself in a position to be an afterthought when you should be first priority. Right. So it's it's a shift because there has been generation after generation within our families. We watched our mothers. We watched our aunts. We watched our grandmothers. Right. Work and be the pillars, you know, in so many of our our families, right, within our community as a whole. And to be able to say, oh, I'm tired, to be able to say, like, this is too much. I'm overwhelmed. I am stressed out. I need to take some time for myself. Like, how often did we really see that model? We saw the go, 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 the do, 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 the extension of the shoulder for someone else, but where did they go? And it manifested in itself in various ways, right? Their health, physical health was compromised. You know, leaving here, leaving the world at earlier ages than than other, you know, races because of health issues that were really related rather to mental health issues. Because they can break your body down. Anywhere from your cardiovascular system to your respiratory system, your digestive system, all of those areas are impacted by our mental health, our mental well-being. You know, and so for me, initially, my first encounter with with therapy was actually within my graduate program. It was a requirement of my marriage and family therapy master's program. Right. So we couldn't we couldn't graduate without making sure that we were in therapy ourselves, which was wonderful for me, because here I am in a master's level program studying about, you know, families and therapies and how to, you know, offer reconciliations within within families. And I myself had an aversion to going to therapy because of how I was raised. Right. You don't what goes on inside the house. You don't talk about it outside the house. Right. What happens in here is it stays in here. You don't have to talk to a stranger. Go pray. Talk to Jesus. Right. And so all of that was ingrained within me. When I started to attend those sessions, there was something very liberating about being able to release so many different things, so many mindsets that I had about just myself, my own worth, my value, to be able to go through and change that narrative. And that was the first experience that that I had. You know, that was my first layer of the stigma of going to therapy being removed was when I was actually in my graduate program because I went for myself. It wasn't just about me helping someone else, right? but starting with with myself first. And so that was my first experience was when I was in graduate school when I lived in California. So it's it's really imperative. Oh my God, that's so dope. Hey Isa, I just came from saying these words to Hey Isa. I heard it from somewhere, I don't even remember where, but, and I'm, I'm, I've recently embraced this, is you can't pour from an empty cup. So <laughs> I want to know, Hey Isa, about your first experience with therapy. Like, because you know I stay coming for you. Like, you listening to us, but you don't be talking. And, I, and that's the thing, that that's telling of the type of person that I am. I am very much the, the mom friend, the friend who is constantly pouring into the other friends, the one who's constantly organizing things and trying to make sure that all of my other friends are okay or constantly, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know if 
I would call myself a workaholic, but I, apparently I am. I don't know. You're a workaholic. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I um, it was actually in 2016 and I was still an undergrad. I had a pageant title at the time. Um, so I had a lot of responsibility at my undergrad university, a lot. And a lot of people knew who I was and were constantly like asking me for advice. And I was mentoring all these people. And there was a period of time, it was like a consistent three weeks where I constantly felt myself feeling like I was about to pass out. And I constantly felt nauseous and I constantly felt what I thought was like nervous, like really bad nerves. And, you know, I was still you know, of course, dating my now fiance at the time. And he was like, we need to go to the doctor because something's wrong. And of course, you're a woman, you go to the doctor, the first thing they're going to do is try to give you a pregnancy test because pregnancy has a million symptoms and everything has to be pregnancy. So it's like the pregnancy test, they ran um, blood work and, and just all of this stuff. And then the doctor comes back in and he sits down with me and he's like, you know, we, we've done all these tests. And he was like, physically, you're fine you know, outside of the blood work, because they hadn't gotten the test results back. He's like, from what I'm seeing, everything, you know, you're fine. He was like, but what I do want to ask you is, have you, you know, ever dealt with anxiety? Or have you been experiencing anxiety? And at the time, I didn't, I don't want to say I didn't know what anxiety was, I didn't attribute it to myself. Um, So then he starts, you know, describing all these symptoms. And he was like, do you feel... I remember he compared it to performing because he knew that, um, you know, I was in band and I had been a singer and stuff like that. He was like, before you go on stage or before you guys perform, you know what that feels like. Like the, the, I guess, you know, he started calling it like the nervousness, the butterflies, all that stuff. And he was like, do you feel that just on a regular basis outside of, you know, doing things that require you to be nervous? I said, I've always felt that way. And the minute I said that, it kind of hit me like, oh my God, I've had anxiety for a really long time. And it kind of, it, you know, it hit me in that moment. Like I have literally dealt with that like level of nervousness or that level of like energy, like something's wrong and I don't know what it is and I need to fix it. That's been like my constant or it had been at the time, my constant for years since at least high school. And I didn't attribute it to anxiety because I didn't have that space to ask anyone or to tell anyone like, this is how I'm feeling. Because like Dr. Gilmore said, I had that family or Deidre, you, you and I know we have that culture. A, a lot of Caribbean parents see mental illnesses as something to pray away or something that's not legitimate. And combined with that is the fact that we don't really have mental health resources where we're from. So right. Yeah, it was like being in the States and talking to a doctor and him recommending therapy. I actually did not go to therapy until years later. I literally convinced myself, even when I had a medical professional in front of me telling me that he thought I had anxiety, that I could take care of it for myself. And it was after, you and I have a similar story, Deidre, it was after Hurricanes Irma and Maria because I was in Houston, um, Harvey hit Houston and then Irma hit the Virgin Islands and then Florida and then Maria hit the Virgin Islands. And it was just constant. Back it was like three straight months of just panic attacks mm-hmm. and anxiety. And I was mm-hmm. like, I can't, I can't do it anymore. So yeah. that's when I started going to therapy. And it was the first time that I really just transparently spoke about everything that I was feeling with someone who didn't even know. 
Um, but what I thought was important in that moment was that I told myself before my first therapy session that I was going to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think what people don't realize is when you go to therapy, it's not just you going there and saying, okay, well, I signed up for therapy. I did it. It's right. how, how are you approaching your therapy? I want to ask you something, Dr. Gilmore, because I feel like this might help, but I need a professional to confirm it. <laughs> I feel like if we approached going to therapy the same way we approach going for our well visit, like, I don't know about the rest of y'all who's listening, but when I go to the doctor, I tell them all the details. I give them the facts, okay? Because if something's wrong, I want to know, you know? So if they're asking certain questions, I'm honest. Like, if I've been smoking weed, I tell my doctor, okay? <laughs> like, so <laughs> I'm going to be honest, you know? So I wonder if maybe if we approach going to therapy the same way we approach going to, like, our, our physician, if maybe it'll be easier to, to, to get into it and commit to it and prioritize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, most people, if it's your first time, you just don't know what to expect. Yeah. So naturally, there's going to be, you know, a little bit of uncertainty related to, okay, this first session, I don't even know what to expect. But yes, if you are interested in starting and just going in with an open mind that, yes, I'm going to have to talk, I am going to have to tell, you know, him or her what has brought me here, yeah. you know, so that they'll know because all we have is what you give us. Right. Right. And so every therapist has different styles of those, you know, one to three or four initial sessions, you know, where they're just trying to collect information. Mm -hmm. And I always, you know, let my my new clients know session one, like, okay, I like to compare us to to onions in the in the sense of there's so many layers. If you cut an onion down the middle, right, there's layer after layer after layer after Mm -hmm. layer. As people, it's the same with us. Mm -hmm. And I said, so don't expect that you're going to get everything out this first session. Right. Like no pressure to tell me like everything. I just want you to start with what's on your mind right now. Right. Let's let's start there and let's see where it goes. There's no right or wrong way to do this. I just want you to be who you are in this space. And I know it takes time to build rapport, but I just want you to know that whatever it is that comes to mind, you don't have to go in a specific order. Just allow it to come out. Yeah. And some people have suppressed so much of themselves and their situation and what they're dealing with and the weight that they're under for so long. Once they start talking, it just continuously you know, comes out. And again, I do believe that that depends on the clinician that they are working with. Yeah. Um, and that they feel like they're in a safe space where there is common common ground and there is, you know, a good fit. And so you're paying attention to who you who you have in front of you, their body language and, and the flow of things. But yes, to have that initial maybe hesitation because you don't know what to expect, but to understand that that's the purpose of the therapy room in the first place is just for you to be a space where you can actually be right and and to release those things again like I mentioned before that have been suppressed or dismissed or ignored um it's it's a space where you can actually release and find relief um so what I find interesting about how Deidre ties into what um Dr. Gilmore is saying is that you know oh maybe we'll go to the doctor just the same way as we would to a therapist if we think of it the same way as taking care of our minds. But in America, our, men, our, our mental health and our healthcare system and our education system and everything is always pushed aside. So when we look at the cycle of it, it's like, 
oh, okay, it doesn't matter, you know, I feel fine. You can say I feel fine, you can be walking around with a tumor for all you know. But it's the same thing in terms of like, oh, you know, um, I don't have any major problems going on, so I don't think I need to go to therapy. You know, life is fine. And and it's the biggest stigma ever. And it's like, why is it as black folks, do we feel like we can tell the doctor like, hey, you know, I slept with two dudes last week and I don't know what's going on, but something ain't right. But we can't say like, I'm feeling heavy. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling down. I, I think I need to seek more help. Do you think that, and this is just, do you think that part of it is because we are so used to, because me, I had a very, um like my outlook used to be like, I would always leave room for disappointment. So when bad things would happen, I would just be like, well, not surprised, you know? Do you think maybe if we kind of embraced, not, and I'm not saying like embrace positivity more, but maybe like abuse and things that are not so great are a little too normal to some people and maybe they don't realize that something's not right? Does that make sense? Like, I think it goes back to what Dr. Gilmore was saying in the beginning and it's that we're so used to seeing certain things in... I guess, a generational lens or how we see our families. Right. So for example, with my mom was diagnosed with anxiety and my mom and I to this day have never spoken about the fact that she's been diagnosed with anxiety and that I now am dealing with anxiety, but I knew she was diagnosed with anxiety because I saw her take the medication or I'd overheard her have conversations with people on the phone. But In our household, like my mom sort of took care of her mental health in the corner somewhere and continued taking care of her family the same way. And nothing about our family dynamic changed. Nothing about our, you know, my dad's behavior changed. It was only when my mom and my dad, of course, split and she moved away. And, you know, I guess she found ways to sort of take care of her mental health in, in different ways, but it was never really addressed. So her handling of her mental health and the way she sort of hit it became the way I handled my mental health. Mm. Because again, in high school, I knew I wasn't okay because I was panicking more than normal people, or I was constantly feeling like there was something to be worried about in situations where I noticed my friends were handling differently or, you know, not completely Mm -hmm. calm, but they just had a better handle on things than I did. Mm -hmm. I knew something was wrong, but I never spoke to her about it because I had witnessed her not open up when she was dealing with her mental right. health. So I think for a lot of us, it's like, okay, do I go to a therapist because I see this as a problem? Because when I looked at my mom or my aunt or the people in my life, that's not what they did. So mm-hmm. is it really the big deal that I think it is in my head? Right. I see what you're saying. So maybe we, what we need to do is more embrace therapy and normalize prioritizing our, our mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how to eradicate the stigma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I, oh, I'll go ahead and reach Sorry. <laughs> oh no, you're fine. I'm sorry. Um, I feel like it's interesting because I'm not sure how old, you know, you two, Hey, as and Deidre, how old your parents are, but I mean, my parents are in their early fifties. My so mommy too. Yeah. How, how my, how my psychiatrist described it was, I was raised by the pull up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I took forever to tell my mom that I was diagnosed with depression and then she was fine with it. And then yeah. fast forwarding up to um, last year when I actually had my first true mental health crises, two days after my birthday, I was admitted into the hospital, but I have not talked to my mother in almost a year now. Um, I don't know what it is, but she, she doesn't, 
She's not meeting me there where I need her to mentally mm-hmm. with my mental health, with my anxiety, with my depression. Um, I didn't, I didn't tell my family that I've been diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. And that was last summer. Um, my dad's side of the family doesn't know about my mental health. So I, mm-hmm. I kind of shelter it, but I'm, I'm loud and proud about it on social media, but I shelter mm-hmm. it with my family because I just know like, you know, I'm not about to open that can of worms with you. This is equal mm-hmm. to talking about politics at Thanksgiving at Uncle Dave's house. Yeah. Type of thing, you know, and mm-hmm. I just, it's not a safe space. Exactly. Exactly. Like, we just not, gonna say what it is. Call a spade not, a spade. It's not a safe I, space. I, yeah. I remember opening up and telling her, like, last year I told her, I said, okay, so I decided to get back on meds. I'm working with a psychiatrist. Things are changing for me. Um, I'm not doing the things that I usually do. I haven't been doing my homework. I'm not going to church anymore. Um, I'm on new medication. Things taste different. Things don't have taste. And she was like, that's because you're on all that medication. <sighs> no. Depression will take everything that you thought you knew and it will make you just entirely unknown to what you are. Yeah. Like your, your favorite, your favorite cake might taste like trash. Your favorite go-to snack might not even be comforting. Yeah. And, and a lot of people don't see that mental health is really, really deep. And I just often wonder why we are always ashamed of it. Is it because we think people look at us and think, oh yeah, she's crazy. Because right. that word is so simple and it's used so much every day, but it's such <sighs> a stigma that if I ever say it's crazy, I try to take it back and use a different term. Yeah. So let's talk about social media and and sort of, you know, what you just touched on. For some, and I think for me, it's been both. On one side, social media is that safe space where I feel comfortable openly speaking about things like anxiety and depression mm-hmm. because I see people my age having those conversations, especially mm-hmm. on places like Twitter. Um, but on the other hand, social media has been that place where I've seen people sort of casually talk about mental health issues or use those terms in ways that's like, I guess, joking for them or just casual yeah. for them. And mm-hmm. it's kind of made me turn inward almost. Like I've seen people say, you know, jokingly use the term anxiety or say like, oh, this is giving me anxiety. And what I, I know now is that anxiety can be something general that you feel, or you can have an anxiety disorder, which is more of a constant thing, but stuff like OCD and stuff like that, like, or, you know, people joking about being bipolar and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Like, how do you, I guess, how do you guys feel about that? And how do we sort of navigate those conversations so that people understand, like, we can joke about things, we can speak casually, but this is how this is making people feel. I I want to, yeah, you go first, (laughs) Dr. Gilmore. (laughs) It definitely is stigmatizing language, right? Which belittles the seriousness of these various mental illnesses. And it's it's used in a form that is definitely incorrect and people mm-hmm. aren't necessarily thinking about the impact that it has on those that are diagnosed with, you know, those various, you know, disorders. And so it's, it's something that should be corrected when heard because that isn't, you know, it's not, I would compare it to physical conditions. You know, you wouldn't necessarily say that the weather is cancerous. Mm -hmm. Right. And so to be able to say in a jokingly way, because you understand the seriousness of cancer, right. You may have had a loved one that suffered with cancer or, has died because of cancer, right? You understand and there's a connection. 
And I think because there is such a disconnection for a lot of people, they don't understand the seriousness of it. Because if there was that understanding, then there would be more empathy and and sensitivity when it comes to using those types of, you know, labels for things that it it isn't necessarily necessary to use. You know, you yeah. can describe weather, you know, in a different way without using stigmatizing language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what? I want to ask you, Misha, how does it make you feel when people use these terms so brazenly? Like, I get so uncomfortable when people refer to the weather as bipolar. It drives me insane. Um, and I need to obviously now do a better job of addressing it in the moment. Like, girl, say something else, you know, but I want to know how it makes you feel, Misha. Like, this is this is the one that really gets me. When people who are um, who are just neat and tidy because get called obsessive compulsive. Like, oh, you have OCD. Like my family says it to me all the time. And it's like, my therapist didn't describe, like I wasn't prescribed, you know, I wasn't diagnosed by a professional. So who are you to say it to me? You know? So I want to know Misha, cause you just told us that you're, um, obsessive, com- you have obsessive compulsive dis- disorder. How does it make you feel when people just use the term as though it's just, you know, well, similarly to how, when I first got diagnosed with depression, two and a half, three and a half years ago, three, I don't even know what year it is. Okay. Um, I kind of had myself in a little bit of a stigma, but last summer at the end of the summer, when I was describing to my psychiatrist, the things that were on my mind Mm -hmm. and he told me you have OCD, you have some coupling thoughts of OCD. I still thought OCD was, I need this here, here, here. No, that's anxiety. I can control where I put this table I can control where the lamp goes on that table. The coaster is on the left. The cup is on the right. Whatever way, that's anxiety that we can control because I obviously with anxiety, we don't know what is to come. So we can control our environment by keeping it the way we want. Now, I used to work in sales and I used to always leave my desk a particular way. And every now and then we would get a weekend off. And I would come back. But before I would come back, somebody would send a picture of my desk of someone just flipping everything to total different direction. They thought it was funny. And I'm just like, yo, that's irritating. It just made my skin crawl. But with OCD, people don't, <laughs> ooh, I can go on all day for this one. People don't take the time to identify a definition. Bipolar is not I'm mad and then I'm sad and then I'm happy. Bipolar is its own entity of depression and manic mood. And I know Dr. Gilmore is way more of our pro that's going to tell them more than anything, but I live in Wisconsin. It can snow today. It can be sunny tomorrow. And we're going to have a hailstorm and a tornado by the end of the week. Stop calling the weather bipolar. Um, OCD. Oh, yeah. Ugh, my OCD, my OCD. If I hear someone else say, my OCD, my OCD, I'm going to scream. I haven't brought it up enough into myself to just say, you know, tell me more about your OCD. Like a little clap back because I'm not that comfortable yet. But if you take a moment to identify obsessive compulsive disorder, as its parts, the part that I resonate most with would be the O, the obsession. My obsession actually damn near killed me. Um, my obsession, I live by a big body of water, live off of Lake Michigan in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm probably about a 15 minute drive from there. So I'm walking at our veterans park and I'm walking toward the water and there are these big bars, but I'm like, you know, we're not really safe. What if I jumped over that? What if someone fell in there? What if someone has fallen in there? And no one cared to get them or see if they needed help. What if someone just committed suicide and jumped over? My thoughts kept ruminating until I got to where I needed to get past that body of water. Ironically, water calms me down. 
but it also scares me. Um, another obsession that I deal with is deep because I've never really openly told people about it because it's scary and I don't want people to ever think they should be afraid of me or fear me. But when I drive, that's when it happens most. So I have to wear a rubber band on my wrist and pop my wrist, I don't know how many times when I'm on the freeway to remind myself that I am in my real life. Um, I've had a lot of thoughts that said, run your car into oncoming traffic two days after my 27th birthday last year. That's when it was straight up, you know, okay, you need help. You need help, help. You need all the help you can get. But with OCD, I really, 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 it would, it would mean the world to me if everybody would take a second and just figure out what is that? It's the rumination of a thought that could be harmful or the compulsive, you know what? I'm going to go spend money. I'm going to go gamble. I'm going to go have sex with every guy I can have sex with just tonight. And then I'm going to wake up and do it all over again tomorrow. And I'm not going to sleep either. So, I mean, again, I can go on and on about it, but it drives me nuts. I hate it. I'm glad that you touched on the fact that a lot of times the control aspect is linked more to anxiety than it is to OCD. I've had a lot of people like Deidre and, and, you know, in my life think that because I like things a certain way, because I need my environment to be controlled in the way I need it to be controlled that, oh, you have OCD. And they, you know, of course, joke about it. And I typically don't correct them. And, you know, we're, we're used to brushing things off, but sometimes in my head, I'm just like, if you only knew the reason I want my environment this way is because I'm anxious about it because I need it a certain way. Like it's, it's not OCD like you think it is, but it's an actual thing that I struggle with. Same here. You know, so I, I, you know, on top of that, it's like people joke about it, but another conversation I see happening is that a lot of us have started to discuss our mental health um, struggles on the internet. And sort of as a rebuttal, I see people saying that people are self-diagnosing. So Dr. Gilmore, I I wanted you to comment on this. Is self-diagnosis, you know, a, a prevalent issue? Like people make it seem it is, or is it just that people aren't seeking help enough? I would say it definitely is a prevalent issue. Self-diagnosis with the access of so much information in the palm of our hands via either our cell phones or our laptops, we have, you know, access to more than we need to have access to. And Mm -hmm. so you get a bump on your arm, you go into WebMD and you are (laughs) typing up things. And then you think, you know, all of these you're laughing, right? But I'm. It's I'm, true. I'm the truth, right? <laughs> we are some self-diagnosing people, whether it is mental health or it's physical health. You know, we would go and we would Google, and that is what the professionals are for. Why create that type of distress and panic when you're really not sure? You're comparing the picture that you see online to what you see on your arm, and you're. Still not 100% sure. You know, it's it's about going to the experts, going to those who are trained within that field and getting the assistance that, that you need versus trying to put yourself in a position where you're not going to ask for that assistance. So I right. think, you know, for some of us, a little bit of pride and a little bit of shame yeah. can be, you know, equated to that as well. Mm-hmm. And along with just the lack of information regarding, mm-hmm. you know, mental health. And so yeah. we overly 
in every way possible self-diagnose. And you can save yourself a lot of a lot of tension, a lot of you know distress by just seeking the professional assistance that you need. And so if you're noticing some symptoms, if you're noticing impairment, if things don't feel the same, the way that they used to don't taste the same as it was stated before, you know, that is an indication of, okay, let me, let me seek help. You know, we go to experts for all of these other things, Mm -hmm. right? You're squinting now all of a sudden and you can't see, you know, across the room anymore, right? You go see an optometrist, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, there's, there's a professional for any and everything that we can encounter in this lifetime. You have particular dietary goals that you want to work on, right? You go to those experts, whether that's a physical trainer or a nutritionist, right? Or your PCP. Sometimes they, you know, they can assist in that particular area as well. And so mental health is no different. No different. It's about a a holistic worldview of what health is. Mm -hmm. It's your mental, emotional, spiritual, physical well-being. All of those things matter. And so in those various areas, you need to seek those that have studied, that have done research, right? And that know, you know, and are the experts, again, within that particular discipline for assistance, rather you just trying to guess and figure it out. Dr. Gilmore, I find what you just said to be interesting. Like, obviously, we we are the generation attached to internet, but we were also born without the internet, um, kind of, that AOL lifetime. Um, if you see young for that, just look it up. Look you it up. got mail. <laughs> um, but if the last two times I sought WebMD for anything, I would have last had coronavirus. And then before that, I would have been like, I'm having a heart attack. There was a time WebMD said call 911. My friend said call 911. I called the... Um, phone nurse and triage and she said yeah you're gonna want to call 911 and I was like oh okay WebMD was right but ironically before this call well I wouldn't say ironically it just touches on the topic I have a friend who called me and she was like you know I want to I want to vent but I want to ask how you're doing first and I'm like okay just all right I was like well I'm I'm tired the insomnia is real I've been getting only four hours of sleep for the past 10 days um yeah otherwise I'm good and um she said I'm trying to figure out if I'm depressed And I was like, well, you haven't been eating. You've been staying cooped up in your room. You just quit your job. You're having a lot of stuff going on right now. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, I would say based on everything that you've already been dealing with, yes, you are dealing with some symptomatic depression, but when's the last time you spoke to your therapist? Because I don't feel comfortable telling you which level. Because this is something that we met and we bonded over is mental health. Mm -hmm. We first ever met. Mm-hmm. So I just find it interesting how like we we will go WebMD with it. I did earlier. I said, how depressed am I <laughs> last night? Because I haven't had my iPhone to do my daily. Um, there's this app called Mood Path and it asks you questions three times a day. Um, and it'll gauge, you know, oh, I'm in a good mood in the morning, but I'm not in a good mood at night. And it'll, wow. help, you kind of, it'll help you kind of gauge where you are. And you can follow the trend and you can see where you are with your anxiety, with your depression. And it even has questions tailored toward... Um, you know, knowing that we're in the pandemic yeah. or even LGBTQIA questions. Can I ask you like real that. quick, not to cut you off, is that app 
only for people who have been diagnosed or can anybody use that? Like, Oh no, anybody can use it. Oh, thank God. Let, it's it's amazing. It's called, mood, it's called mood path. M O O D P A T H. Okay. And it's, it's so cool because you, you, you know, it asks you a question in the morning. It asks you a question in the afternoon and it asks mm-hmm. you one in the evening and you just check in. Yeah. So it's good to check in with yourself doing that because it's telling you, Hey, check in. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought up that app because I wanted to ask Dr. Gilmore because, um, you know, we were talking about a lot of the reasons why people don't seek professional help. And a lot of it has to do with stigma and things of that nature. But what we forgot to mention is re- lack of resources. Um, I was in a position to just pick up my phone and open United Health and just search for a therapist. Not everybody has that not, yeah. not everybody has that access. So I'm so glad you brought up Mood Path because if nothing else, I think that's a good starting point. Yeah, I, um, I definitely didn't when I first started, you know, seeking therapy. I had to go to BetterHelp, which is a website you pay a certain amount every week. And mm-hmm. even that, I had to stop my therapy, what I felt was really early because mm-hmm. I just couldn't afford it. I wasn't insured. Um, but BetterHelp is typically the place I start when friends or anyone reaches out to me and says, you know, I need therapy, but I don't have insurance because it's, yeah. it's so immediate. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're able to talk to people in, in different forms. But I think that's a huge problem is the fact that so many of us, especially in our age group are uninsured mm-hmm. Yeah, and it feels really hopeless when you don't have insurance, but you feel like you need help. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I think there's another one that I'm familiar with called Talkspace. I've never used it. Okay. Um, but I've heard of Talkspace. I've actually recommended Talkspace to some friends who also are not in a position to just like, just show up at a therapist's office with a decent copay, you know? Um, so I, am glad we touched on that. Um, for just to touch back on WebMD for like a whole year, I thought I had psoriasis. Turns out I have hand eczema. That's a thing. (laughs) Because I finally went to a dermatologist. Um, and even this conversation is making me want to talk to my therapist about some things and maybe see if she can refer me to a psychiatrist, you know, because there's certain, we all just have to get a little comfortable just hearing certain symptoms and realizing that we, we kind of have some of those symptoms, you know, um, you, you know how you, if you're having a conversation with somebody, especially a man, and he uses the B word, do you find yourself correcting him? Like, hey, don't call her a bitch. Cause I do it. Like all my male friends know if they say the word bitch and they're talking about a woman, I cut them off mid sentence. And I say, you're not calling her a bitch. And fr- you're not calling her a bitch. You're not doing it. Mm-hmm. I want to challenge everybody to do the same thing regarding mental health diagnoses. If you hear somebody say, Oh, the weather's being bipolar because you just described bipolar disorder. You just described OCD and it has nothing to do with the way we've always been associating it. So when you hear somebody who's mopping their floor say, I'm just so OCD because I like my floor mopped three times a day, then maybe we should be like, girl, you're not obsessed. Like, calm down. (laughs) Like, maybe we could try to redirect our peers the same way we would redirect our guy friends who are comfortable using the B word. Like, can I'm going to do it. I'm challenging myself to do it. Y'all so, want to do it or not? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so Dr. I, how would we challenge that? Like, how do we kind of rebuttal that? Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask Dr. Oh, Gilmore. Yeah, I how guess, how yeah. do we approach, what's the best way to approach these types of conversations with friends, either correcting them and making sure that they're not stigmatizing people, but also, I guess just in general, having conversations about mental health, like what is the best way to bring about these conversations? depends on the circle. So in some circles, it's a safer space than other circles. And if that is a safe space for you to be able to just say, hey, you know, that that makes me feel 
uncomfortable or that's, you know, that's something that is a very serious illness and it's something that you should consider, you know, not using in that format. And it takes care, it takes courage to, to speak up, right? Even with the example that Deidre just gave with the use of the B word, right? To be able to stop someone mid-sentence and to be able to correct them. Like you get that feeling internally that it, it bothers you. And so to give that feeling words and to be able to open up your mouth and speak the thoughts that you already have in your head, we know what we want to say. It's just a matter of most of the time we're more comfortable thinking it than we are actually speaking the things that we're thinking about. And so, you know, that's the challenge is, is am I going to say something when I have that feeling on the inside? Am I going to open up my mouth and am I going to, to speak up in that moment? Am I going to be a voice of advocacy like in that particular moment or am I going to remain silent? Conversations all, aren't always comfortable. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, the climate that we're in right now, there's nothing comfortable about the conversations. Right. But that doesn't mean that they're not necessary. And yeah, so... Yeah. It's it's making that decision cognitively to say, okay, if I'm having this gut reaction to it, I know the words. Mm-hmm. And so just to allow yourself to just to correct. Correct in love as I would like right. to. Right. Um, you know what? I want to give a quick example. Um, this is how I learned to stop using the R word. Um, and for those who don't know, it's retarded. Um, you know how f- growing up we always would use that word to call somebody silly or somebody did something that wasn't, you know. Um, and that's how I learned to stop using it. Cause I was participating in a message board and I used that word and rather than like dragging me <laughs> and making me feel like a terrible person, the other participants, they taught me why it's not okay to use that word. They were like, yo, it's not okay to say that anymore. And I'm like, why? And I mean, also it's a willingness to learn. Cause it, like you said, it depends on the circle. Cause for me, I always want to learn stuff. So rather than getting defensive when I was instantly corrected, I wanted to know more. So I'm like, well, why is it not okay to use it? And they explained the reason why we don't use that word. And from that moment on, this was when I was pregnant with Dylan. So seven years ago, ever since then, I have never used that word again. So I'm going to take that approach when I decide to correct my friends who misuse mental health disorders um, and illnesses. I'm just going to learn a little more and just find a helpful way to just say, hey, let's not use that word because there's so many more serious symptoms that go with that disorder. And maybe I'll come up with a suggestion, you know? And again, it it, it depends on my friends, but I also am very fearless. So I say what I want when I want. Yes. But maybe we could take that approach when we challenge people when they misuse these terms, you know, maybe we could just do that. You know, I think that your following base for um, BP pod could definitely chime in on that, too, after this conversation. Yes, you're right. Yeah. We're going to ask you guys, tell us in the comments how we're going to approach this because we're all going to do it. I want everybody listening to chime in and be a part of this. And you're going to help us figure out a way to stop this. Wait, what's your ad name to get? Our, for the podcast? Yeah, all of the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so on Twitter, it's at the BP Pod. On Instagram, it's at Beautiful People Pod. And of course, on Facebook, it's the Beautiful People Podcast. With that, guys, um, I definitely want to leave you guys thinking about the fact that this podcast aims to start conversations. 
we're not sort of the be all end all on the conversations. Our goal with every episode is to get you thinking about the things that we talk about, to go to your family and have these conversations, to go to your friends and have these conversations. So definitely take this challenge to correct your friends or correct people who are using um, the, the names of mental health disorders irresponsibly correct people who not correct, but sort of embrace people who you think might be struggling and encourage them to do things like seek therapy or seek help with, with their mental health issues. Um, There's so many layers to this conversation and so many different directions we can go in, but the goal here was definitely to start the conversation and to see what the audience thinks on it and to see sort of where people's minds are at in terms of mental health. I think for a long time we've, um, you know, there, there's still a stigma associated, but I think for a long time I convinced myself that it was still this huge stigma that it used to be when I was younger. And sometimes I don't give people credit for the fact that it's a much more open space than it used to be. So I am so grateful to you, uh, Dr. Gilmore, for being on the episode and to you, Misha, for coming on and sharing your experiences. Of course, I'm grateful to my co-host all the time because she's always here. Um, but thank you guys for having this conversation with us. If you're listening, I just gave you guys the social media handle. So be sure to continue the conversation with us and you can go further. So we are going to link some resources for you in the description of this episode. I, for one, am going to link Dr. Gilmore's, Dr. Gilmore's website so that you can learn more about her. And if you're in your in her area, you can possibly seek her as an avenue for, for your treatment. So thank you guys for being on and thank you guys for listening to the Beautiful People podcast. Oh, wait, go ahead, Dr. Gilmore. <laughs> we like to add for those that are interested, there are so many additional resources that students in college may not even realize that they have access to most campuses, if not all from four-year universities to two-year institutions has psychological services on the campus. And they offer free of charge sessions, counseling sessions to students by licensed therapists. I um, was once full-time employed with a local community college here in Texas. And I was one of those licensed professional counselors that offered personal counseling to the college students. And so they didn't have to pay. It was included in their tuition. And so that's an avenue. Openpathcollective.org is another affordable counseling website. And so I believe that their scale may start from anywhere from 50 to $80, depending on if you need individual counseling or couples or family counseling. And also, if you are employed, check with your human resources department because you may have EAP, employee assistance, an, an employee assistance program, which those sessions, I've seen them offer clients anywhere from six to 20 free sessions, counseling sessions via the EAP, EAP program, excuse me. And so there are all of these revenues. So even if you aren't necessarily insured, there may be some other areas that you can access to get the sources, the resources rather that you need. Oh my God, that's such good information. Thank you for sharing that. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Hey, Isa, this is my favorite episode. <laughs> <laughs> I I you better give it five stars. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, girl, six. 
<laughs> this is this every time we have a new episode, DJ's like, okay, hey, as I change my mind. This is my favorite. This is my this favorite was. one. Cause yes. Oh my yeah. God. Thank you, ladies, for coming. Oh my gosh. This was so good. Thank you guys for for coming on. Thank you, Dr. Gilmore, for those resources. Um, You guys, if you do have any additional resources as well that you want to have us promote on our pages or share with people, be sure to mention us on social media as well. You guys can join us right back here on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Good Up is hosted and produced by Deidre Ritter and Hey Isaac Quinones Ivory and is a proud member of the Kickin' It family. Find us on all social media platforms at Good Up Pod. Use hashtag Good Up Tuesday to continue the conversation and get access to exclusive bonus content at patreon.com slash Good Up Podcast.